You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I see that, and I see this station now beginning to teeter. We're we're on on solid ground because the Lord is no longer the foundation of this nation. The Lord is not the foundation of His nation. You you can see it. So I think that we're having problems here, and I think that we can go back to what we're reading here and have an example of what we're reading right here for Israel. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And he was talking about Israel, but we can apply that to our beloved country. If you've ever built something from Ikea, you know the importance of following directions. Things just won't end well if you try to do it your own way. Well, this principle can be applied to life, too. Today, Pastor Dave urges you to learn from Rehoboam's example. You'll be reminded that following God's directions for your life brings blessing. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 11, as he begins his message, From Appointed to Apostate. Open to 2 Chronicles chapter 11, and I've entitled this message today, From Anointed to Apostate, because this is basically what happens to the king of Israel at this time. So let's pray one more time before we begin our study, please. Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, open up our hearts. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want to say to your church Help us, Lord, to look at your word, to glean from it scriptures that are important to you, to us. Help us, Lord, to know your word and be doers of your word, not hearers only. Help us, Lord, to to just be students of your word, how we love your word and how we love the way it talks to us and speaks to us and how we love the way it it rebukes us at times and it convicts us, but yet it is so encouraging and and so full of love and and grace and mercy and so full of, of your beauty. So, Lord, help us, Lord, now to look at your word, Father God, as it is, the purity of it, and look at these pages and know that your spirit breathed upon these, and we have these words just as they are. Lord, they're the same as they were written down hundreds and thousands of years ago, Lord, and we're thankful, Lord, that we have them. So, Lord, bless this time. Bless your saints that they've gathered. Help us, Lord, to understand what you want us to know through these beautiful passages. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we began with the death of Solomon, and his son Rehoboam is now the king. We were told and we read that Rehoboam was a somewhat arrogant king. He was really different from his grandfather David, and even different than his father Solomon. David loved the people and would risk his life for them. He was fond of them, and he knew that God loved them, and he knew that they were God's people, and he knew that he was God's chosen as their shepherd, for the lack of a better term. I think David saw himself as a shepherd of God's people. Solomon didn't serve the people. He used the people. Solomon used the people to get what he wanted to satisfy his own desires. And you come to Rehoboam, 
He simply ignored the people. He turned a deaf ear to them. Even though they were suffering under the mass taxes that his father Solomon had placed upon him. And we talked at length about Solomon's want for wealth and all the gold fixtures and how he had to have 66 tons of gold every year and all this monstrous nut that he had to crack. I mean, he had a a monster thing. But because of his arrogance, because of Rehoboam's arrogance, and because the Lord had come against Solomon's sin, he named a man named Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was given a promise through the prophet Ahijah that the nation would be divided. Ten tribes would settle in the north and two in the south, and Jeroboam would be the ruler or king over the northern tribes. The remaining two tribes would be left to Rehoboam, and God did this. Why? He did it for David. He did it to continue the Davidic covenant, to continue what he had told David. The prophecy came to pass when King Rehoboam did not heed the counsel of his elders to ease up on the burden of the people. Instead, he went to the young guns. He went to his buds, his his peeps. And they said, ah, put a heavier burden on them. They haven't seen nothing yet. Squeeze them. Get all you can out of them. Put a heavier yoke on them than they even had before. So there was a rebellion. As God had prophesied, there was a rebellion. And they took Jeroboam and they said, we want you to be king over us. So Jeroboam, we know from our study in Kings, went to the northern tribes and he became their king. And there became two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel, and the southern kingdom, which kept the name Judah. We know that from our studies before. Rehoboam was just left with the tribe of Benjamin and Judah. And Jeroboam, now, as we move on, Rehoboam fortifies the cities. And and you see from verses 5 through 12, where he made this shield about Judah. He makes all these cities around him kind of like in a defense. He puts up this perimeter around him, you know, like the fence around the White House. He puts this perimeter around there so nobody can get to him, so nobody can come near him, and he puts this perimeter up there. And they're called fortified cities, and the names of them are there in verses 5 through 12. I believe we read them. And He made strong shields and strong swords, and he made them strong there. We read in Second, uh, uh, First Kings, that Jeroboam basically threw out the priests and the Levites. He threw them out because he introduced idol worship to the northern kingdom. He he introduced idol worship to the northern kingdom, so he eventually expelled them, however some said. So let's begin our reading in chapter 11, verse 13. And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him, with Rehoboam. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem for Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. Then he appointed for himself priests, this is Jeroboam, appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons and the calf idols that he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. 
So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. Jeroboam was in the north. The kingdom was known as Israel. And he established worshiping calves. He made two golden calves and put one in Bethel and the other one in Shechem, which was basically their capital. And he began to make priests out of everybody. He wasn't following the line of Levi he was just, or Aaron. He was making priests out of everybody. And so they got upset and they basically were expelled. And what happened here was religious confusion. It was, they were really confused as to what to do. They didn't have true priests. They didn't have true Levites. They had nobody to lead them to the one true living God. All they had were these fake priests who were now leading them to idol worship. Idol worship. So they went down, the priests and the Levites, most of them, some stayed. They went down and gave their allegiance to Rehoboam. These priests who say, why? Because their heart was set towards the Lord. And that's what it said. The people whose heart were set to the Lord, who wouldn't break away, traveled back and forth during the feast times because they wanted to be close to the Lord. And they strengthened the nation. And I wrote a little thing here as I was studying it again, as I was looking over my notes and stuff like that. Men of God strengthen a nation. Men who are supposed to be godly, men who are supposed to be leaders according to God's order that he has placed, godly men can strengthen a nation. They can make a nation strong. We saw this in in the early parts of the 1700s or, or in the time when the people were coming here from England. These were strong Christian men and they wanted to have a nation where they could basically have religious freedom not be told who they were supposed to worship. It's very similar to what these men coming down to Jerusalem is. And you see this. And they became strong and they made a nation. They strengthened the nation and the Lord blessed the nation. The Lord blessed the nation incredibly. They won a war that they should have never won. The Revolutionary War, they should have never won that war. They should have never won that war, but they did. And they subsequently won wars afterwards. Because of why? Because God was blessing them. God was blessing their strength. God was giving them strength because they were being blessed. And in Psalm 33, it says those very things. In Psalm 33, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation as God is the Lord. And I firmly believe in my whole heart that for the longest time, God was the Lord of the United States of America. But we have seen that now slide. God is no longer the Lord over this nation. And we are reaping what we sowed. We're reaping now the consequences of that. And we hear we have an example of it right here. Sadly, in Rehoboam's time, it only lasted three years. This strength, this blessing of the Lord only lasted three years. Back in 1117, 
It says, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because he walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years, meaning he walked in the way of the Lord. It mentions Solomon. We know Solomon didn't walk with the Lord as good as his father David did. But Rehoboam was walking in the way of the Lord. He was walking in the way of the Lord. And it's beautiful. It's a great thing when they walk in the way of the Lord. The Lord blesses this. When this nation walked in the way of the Lord, they were blessed. I personally believe that's why we won two world wars. That's why we were victorious. we, we We fought two wars on two sides. There were two wars, the war with Japan and the war with Germany. We fought them on two different places. We came out victorious. Why? I believe because God was our Lord. I believe that the nation was under one God, one nation under God. That's my belief. But I also believe that as the nation started to go away from the Lord, things happened. Vietnam. Now look at all the trouble we're having in Afghanistan and Iraq and all these other places that we're having problems with. It's not the same anymore. I contend because the nation is not following God. We're not following God's precepts. We're not following God. We've taken God out of everything. We have removed him and constantly remove him. And he's going to be removed even further, folks. But I see that. And I see this station now beginning to teeter. We're we're on, on solid ground because the Lord is no longer the foundation of this nation. The Lord is not the foundation of his nation. You, you can see it. So I think that we're having problems here. And I think that we can go back to what we're reading here and have an example of what we're reading right here for Israel. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And he was talking about Israel, but we can apply that to our beloved country. So in verses 18 through 23 in chapter 11, Rehoboam now follows the path of his father Solomon and his grandfather David by disobeying the Lord's commandment in multiplying wives. Remember, we talked about this at length, that there was a commandment that they were not to multiply horses, gold, and women. They were not to multiply those things as kings of Israel. You can go back to Deuteronomy 17 and check it out for yourself. And here you see it. So let's read. Then Rehoboam took for himself the wife Mahalath, the daughter of Jeroth, the son of David, and Abigail, the daughter of Elah, the son of Jesse. And she bore him children, Jehush, Shemariah, and Zahan. After her, he took Machal, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shemalath. Now Rehoboam loved Machah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives in Kanyapons. But listen to this. For he took 18 wives, and 60 concubines. And he begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Makkah, as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. He dealt wisely and dispersed some of the sons throughout the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city, and he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. So it continues. It continues. I think it's interesting that Rehoboam selected the next king. I found this to be a go directly against God. 
I found this to go against, directly against God, although it's not mentioned here that it's against the Lord. So Rehoboam, during these three years, was anointed. He, he was anointed. God had blessed him with peace. God had blessed him with many children. In fact, and had even given him an heir to the throne. But unfortunately, it didn't last. He went from being anointed to being an apostate in five years. Three years of great living, and then by the fifth year, things went downhill fast. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all of Israel with him. Do you see this? Interesting. Rehoboam walked with the Lord. He honored his grandfather David. And the Lord honored him with peace and prosperity. For three years he followed after the Lord. And then it says, he forgot the Lord. He forgot the Lord. Sadly, when he walked away from the Lord, so did the people. They followed the leader. They followed their leader away from the Lord. And we read all about it in 1 Kings, how they began to set up idol worship in Judah. They began to do the exact same things that they were doing in the northern country. The absence of godly leadership, people will follow anybody. In the absence of godly leadership, people will follow anybody. And this even goes for the family. In the absence of godly leadership, the family will follow whomever. It's not God's order. It's not God's order. And the language that is used here says they abandon the way of the Lord. They, they abandon it. Now, we're not going that way anymore. And it's very sad. Rehoboam did this when he was strong and secure in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord for so long. And then all of a sudden he said, yeah, you know what? I can do this myself. Look at all that I'm accomplishing. Look at all that I'm doing. And he forsook the Lord. He left the Lord alone. He grew independent of God instead of trusting in God more and more. Quite frankly, folks, I have found that the longer I'm in ministry, the longer I'm here at Calvary Chapel as pastor, the more I need to trust in the Lord. The more and more and more I need to trust in the Lord. I'll tell you, not the less. No, the more I need to trust in the Lord. And this should have been, this should have been Rehoboam's thought. He needed to trust in the Lord for everything. And the crazy thing about it is he went from prosperity to wanton. And you, he was... Prosperity when he was trusting the Lord and wanting when he wasn't trusting the Lord. You would think somebody with a little bit of brains would go, hmm, things were good when we were trusting the Lord. Things aren't good now. Hmm. You would think that they would, they would do that. This is a dangerous place to be. When you're more dependent upon yourself than you are the Lord, it is an extremely dangerous place, especially in leadership or ministry. It's an extremely dangerous place. And might I add, when that happens... God will not bless it. God will not bless it. And as a leader, if that's the way you are, you will find that God will remove people from you. God will take his sheep and place them elsewhere where they can be fed. The truth. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. When we read 1 Kings 14, it told us that this forsaking of the law went so far as the allowance of perverted people in the land they were allowing perverted people to come in the land, basically 
idols who were around, or excuse me, prostitutes who were around idols. And they were allowing this prostitution to take place because of the idols. Anytime I hear that, I think of Ephesus and the goddess Diana and the temple prostitutes that would be around there who would service the men and they would pay and they would go to Diana, this, this goddess. The worst part, what was the worst part of Rehoboam's sin? Can somebody tell me that? What do you think? What do you think the worst part of Rehoboam's sin was? I think the worst part of Rehoboam's sin was he led the people in sin. He led the people in sin. I've told you before, and I don't mind telling you again, you don't belong to me. You belong to God. You are God's sheep. And if I deal wrongly with you, I've got to answer to him for you. And if I lead you astray in some way, I've got to answer to God. Well, this is what's happening to Rehoboam. He led God's people astray, and now he has to answer to God. He's got to answer to God, but sadly, so does the nation. The nation does too, because the nation is following him, like sheep gone astray. It's interesting. That's the worst part, causing someone to stumble. We read about it all the time in the New Testament. Causing a little one to stumble. You better get that millstone around your neck and jump in the ocean. Causing someone to stumble is horrible. God takes it very, very Seriously is right. Thank you. But in 1 Kings 14, it describes Judah's apostasy that Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked God to jealousy with their sins. These sins provoked the Lord to jealousy because they were essentially sins of idolatry. They turned their back on God and started worshiping other gods. It's called spiritual adultery. That's what it's called. We have to call for what it is. You know, Sometimes we get overconfident when the Lord is working mightily in our lives. When we see the Lord doing a good thing, we can get overconfident, and we begin to feel like we can handle things on our own. We think, well, this is pretty good. We're going pretty good. I got this. Take take a break, Lord. I'm good here. I can handle this. That's a dangerous place. And we start to do it in our flesh, and we begin to walk in the flesh. And we begin to follow after other strange things and other things that come along, programs and, and other things. We start to trust in them more than we're trusting in the Lord. This is another dangerous place to be. And sometimes somebody comes along with a new twist of scripture. It sounds good. It, it tickles the ears. And you start to follow that person. And you put the Lord to the side. Oh, all this Bible study is great, but you need this. You need this. You know, in the New Testament, this happened to the churches of Galatia. This happened to the churches of Galatia. And look at Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3. And and look what Paul says to them. He's been talking about the Judaizers that have come in and told them they have to have the law of Moses. They have to be circumcised. And they're they're trying to say that that Jesus isn't enough. And listen to what he says in these three short verses here in in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who came in and bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been working his way through the book of 2 Chronicles. Before you assume that this book entails a bunch of details from the past that don't really affect you today, make sure you take some time to appreciate what this book offers. In addition to the history of the Israelite people, you get to know the rise and fall of many kings. They were all sinners who needed a savior. They were just like every person today, no matter their status, who needs a savior. Do you know this savior, Jesus? If you do, you've come to greatly value what this means in your life. If you're unfamiliar with the concept, we want to help you understand that. No one has it all figured out on their own. For sure, no one is capable of living without sin and error. But what you need to realize is that there's a sure hope through the Savior, Jesus Christ. His willingness to be traded for your sins makes all the difference. By knowing Him personally and believing in Him, you get to move forward with life, knowing you're not perfect, but that God's bringing you into something better. The ministry of a sure hope comes out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. If you're in the area, we'd love to worship God together with you this weekend. Head over to assurehoperadio.com for service times and directions. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. If you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. That's all we have for today, but we look forward to connecting with you again on the next edition of A Sure Hope. Oh